Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hey guys, welcome to season 10 of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. Thank you so much for joining me each and every week to hear the stories of the person being interviewed. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you who listen, who share, and who just keep this podcast going. So God bless you. Thank you so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Anchor Anchored by the Sword podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you guys to a new friend, uh, Mike Noriega, and we're going to talk about him, his life, his story, and then the story that brought he and I together today, his new book that just came out. So Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Gina. I'm really excited to be on here. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Sure. So um I started working out of high school in the financial services industry and mm-hmm. started uh, working towards building uh, a business that really focused on teaching families about money because they don't teach us about money in school. They teach us mm-hmm. things like algebra and arithmetic and things that we'll never really use, but things like mm-hmm. money and how credit cards work and taxes, like things you have to deal with every day. They expect you to figure it out on your mm-hmm. own. So. I became very passionate about helping families by teaching them about how to manage their money so that their money would not manage them. And I spent, uh, I'm still in in the industry. That's what I do by trade, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very grateful that my career path brought me to a place that when I needed it, I had uh, the freedom to pursue my calling when calling was chasing me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, where our stories intersect here on this podcast is on June 24th of 2021, I got a phone call from my mom around 1.30 in the morning mm-hmm. that something had happened to my grandmother's building. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was like my second mom to me because mm-hmm. both of my parents are, are first responders here mm-hmm. in the South Florida area. Uh, my father at the time Uh, growing up was with the Miami Beach Police Department. He worked his way up to becoming the chief of police. And my mother was an ER trauma nurse. Mm -hmm. And so when they were both working and we weren't in school, my parents would drop us off at my grandparents' place. And Mm -hmm. my grandmother was literally like my second mother, where she gave me the love, the affection, uh, the the nourishment that my own mom gave me. And Mm -hmm. I think where my bond with my grandmother began was um, I think that strong bond began when uh, I was born in in April of 1985. And 
about six months after I was born, my grandmother's only daughter, my dad's sister, uh, was tragically in a terrible car accident. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, hit by a drunk driver, or I believe it was a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. um, and she ended up dying at 17 years old, wow. just a few months after I was born. And so my grandmother, um, she really took all of the love, the affection, the adoration, and that energy that she had towards her daughter that she just missed so dearly and just put, brought that love towards me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, up until the day my grandmother died in that building collapse, she told me, you saved my life. And I never understood that because I knew what she was referring to, but I just never grasped it because, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I represented new life in a time of death, but I was just a baby that was pooping my diapers. You know, <laughs> I, how, did I, how did I save your life? But mm -hmm. it's so crazy that now that she's gone, like, oh my gosh, like I feel that anguish and that pain that she did. And like, I, I feel like I get it now. And so I got a phone call at around 1.30 a.m., like I mentioned, on June 24th, 2021, that something had happened in my grandmother's building. And um, there's a lot more details in between, but I showed up uh, to that building collapse within an hour of it happening, and my grandmother's building was completely gone. It was like somebody came and demolitioned it in the middle of the night, and um, it was a very, very traumatic event. It really mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Um, I also have a really close relationship with my grandma or I had one. So um, I, I completely get it. I was raised, you know, mom and dad went to work. Grandma was where we went. And so, yeah, until the day she died, I had a really close relationship with her. And actually the viewers can't see it, but that picture right up in my um, library here, right up there is her high school graduation picture. So I always have her looking over me. So, wow. I yes. love that so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what transpired in the days, weeks, months after that happened? A lot. So first of all, before I got there to the building collapse, what had happened leading up to that phone call that I received was there was this woman by the name of Susanna Alvarez. I write about her mm -hmm. in my book and it was a partial building collapse. And so there was a tower that was still remaining. It was about a third of the building that collapsed in the middle, in the middle of the night. And so mm -hmm. Susanna was in the building that had not collapsed and her parents were actually best friends with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so she survived and, and, um, everybody that was in the building that survived it, all, they all say the same thing that it sounded, it was like, if you could mix an earthquake and the loudest thunder you could imagine happening mm. at the same time, Oof. that's what the sound and the feeling was like. And so she was literally rattled out of bed mm -hmm. from just the shock of the, the building collapsing. And mm. <clears throat> when she walked out of her room to figure out what happened into the hallway, she looked around the edge and she just saw the sky where she should have seen a hallway. Wow. And she looked down and she saw 
all of the rubble. And she said that she heard people screaming and it still haunts her to this day. Yeah. And when she realized that my grandmother, which was a dear friend, a dear family friend of hers was in that rubble, she called my father just absolutely fanatical. And all my dad could make out from the conversation was something happened in my grandmother's building. The building is gone and he needs to get there. And so he jumped out of bed and just left my parents' place and started bolting down that way mm-hmm. to Surfside, which is about probably about 45 minutes from where they live. Mm-hmm. My mom had called me and said, hey, your father just got this call, something about an explosion in your grandmother's building. Your brother's on his way to pick me up. And then we're coming to pick you up. And we're going to Surfside. And I'm like, what happened to my grandmother's building? And so to grab some sort of sense out of all of this, you know, I'm think- I had just flown in from out of town from Colorado and I'm, I'm looking forward to a good night's sleep. And the first thought in my mind was, oh, somebody was heating up something in the microwave mm-hmm. and there was a little explosion in somebody's microwave, maybe a little bit of smoke. The fire alarms went off and, you know, they might be blowing this out of proportion. So I mm-hmm. called the Surfside Police Department, said, hey, I got this phone call what exactly is happening? They said, well, sir, we're trying to figure it out. It's an active situation right now. And I'm like, well, it's 1.30 in the morning. I'm at home. My, you know, my whole family is about to make our way down there. Is this something that is dramatic enough that we should be going there in the middle of the night? And I'll never forget that Surfside officer saying, yeah, you should get down here as quick as you can. Mm. And that just struck the fear of God in me. And when we arrived in Surfside, To add to the dramatic effect of all of this, my grandmother's building, Champlain Tower South, was on the street that divided Surfside from the north end of Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. There was already a ton of first responders there that had blockaded the road. Mm -hmm. And so where we parked was south of my grandmother's building. In other words, we parked in Miami Beach and had to walk a few blocks over Mm -hmm. through just the sea of red and blue lights and first responders. And from the angle that we walked up and I have pictures of this in my book, Mm -hmm. my, the building was still there because we were walking from the South Mm -hmm. and my grandmother's building faced the North end. So it Mm -hmm. looked like nothing had happened. So I walked up thinking that, Oh my gosh, like, thank God my, my grandmother's building is still there. I'm so relieved only to walk up till we could see the north side of the building and it was completely gone Mm. and I'll never forget I'll never forget how I didn't know this then but the first six stories of the building were in the parking garage so you can only so the rubble the pictures that you see are actually only the top six stories Mm. my grandmother's balcony was right there one of the first things that I saw because my grandmother lived on the sixth floor Mm-hmm. And so I recognized her balcony furniture right away. And I just fell to my knees mm-hmm. because it was so overwhelming. The shock that I felt in that moment, it was almost like, you know, when you have a dream that's so vivid that mm-hmm. when you wake up, you're like, oh my gosh, it was a dream. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt so real. But you realize later it was a dream. And it took Mm -hmm. me an hour to snap out of that thought process that this was not a dream. This was not something that I'm going to wake up from. 
mm-hmm. and that this was real. And there was so much confusion. Did somebody come and demolition my grandmother's building in the middle of the night? Was there an earthquake mm-hmm. in Miami? Um, what like, like was this a terrorist attack? Right. There were so many different questions that were going through my mind because buildings don't just collapse in the middle of the night. Right. That does not happen. So that wasn't even an option in my mind. Mm-hmm. And between that and then, I don't know how long I was on my knees just succumbing to the 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 weight of the situation but I got up I found my father he was surrounded by some of his police officers and my family was there and my father does not I've seen my father cry a couple of times in my life and it was never in public and my father was weeping in public Mm -hmm. and that just the whole situation just broke me and um after I don't know, after about an hour of being there, I just needed to get away from the chaos. It felt like I was in a war zone. Mm-hmm. And there was a building next door. Um, and I just sat in front of the entranceway. And I put in my my AirPods. And I started listening to this song that my church's worship team had had written called uh, Shelter In by VU Worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a part of VU Church here in Miami. And okay. I was listening to this this song called Shelter In that really claims the promises of Psalm 91, Mm -hmm. um, that God is our ultimate refuge and strength and that we'll get attacked from all angles, but he's our ultimate shelter. And I had this revelation because I had my eyes closed. I was tearing up. I had my AirPods in, so all I could hear was the worship music. I was just trying to bring heaven down to earth Mm -hmm. because it felt like hell where I was. Right. And I kept listening to this song over and over and over. And I had this revelation in my heart. I had two revelations. One of them was that the building that my grandmother entrust that she entrusted her life to, that was supposed to ultimately keep her safe, failed her. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that was supposed to be her home actually became her grave. And it's such mm-hmm. a picture of, or potentially her grave at that time. But it became such a picture of, when we place our hope, when we attach our faith to anything in this world, it's a weak foundation that we can't take shelter in anything in this world for the long run because it will eventually let us down. It will eventually collapse. Mm-hmm. But the second revelation was that I just remember the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And it was, I kept praying, God, like you can do a miracle. You can save my grandmother. Please save her. Please And I just remember the Holy Spirit whispering to me that if your grandmother is alive underneath that rubble, it is my presence that's sustaining her, that I am with her and that she's okay. But if her body is underneath that rubble, but her soul is not, her soul is in my presence in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so either way, your grandmother is safe, sheltered in my refuge. Do you trust me with either outcome? Wow. And when I got that revelation in my heart, it it gave me, it truly gave me the faith that I needed in that moment to go forward, not having any idea what was about to transpire. Mm-hmm. And what had transpired in the hours to follow was <clears throat> the sheer velocity of the building collapsing. It was 14 million pounds of concrete and rubble and all of the contents within 
And it took all of seven seconds for my grandmother's building to just crush. And it happened so fast that a lot of the contents, the air getting squeezed out so quickly had blown out clothing, ties, bills, pictures, all kinds of different contents, like within a, a circular perimeter. And so we were on the street on Collins Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that my father had stepped on something and looked down and he just saw a shadow of something that looked like a rectangle. Um, one thing that I need to mention is that there was dust everywhere mm-hmm. because it, it, it looked like it was ash, but it was just dust. And when my father picked up what he had stepped on and blew off the dust, it was an envelope that had my grandmother's name on it, Hilda. Mm-hmm. And it had butterflies that were drawn on it. Mm-hmm. And it had a butterfly that was actually imprinted on it. And when he opened it up, he saw that it was a birthday card that had been given to her by her prayer group just two weeks prior. Oh, my goodness. And it was such a powerful moment. I didn't know what it meant in that moment, but it was just like you could you could tell that God's hand was all over it. Mm-hmm. Once we realized that was there, we it just it, it allowed us to deviate our attention from the collapse and attach really our our sights onto hope and we started looking for other contents that could belong to her and we found all kinds of different things we started collecting everything because we knew if it didn't belong to my grandmother that it belonged to someone else Mm -hmm. and so we ended up finding two pictures Mm -hmm. uh, of my grandparents Um, one of them was when my dad was a child and the other one was my grandparents in their later years in life on vacation And again, it was very beautiful to find those things. Mm -hmm. I did not know what that meant in that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pause that part of the story and Mm -hmm. come right back to it in a little bit. Mm -hmm. So my my father is a a public figure and, you know, he's done very, he he does very well when it comes to um, speaking engagements and things like that. And Mm -hmm. he just had the composure of melted ice cream. He couldn't keep it together because he was so devastated. And he came to me and said, listen, um, the media is going to tell this story whether or not um, we want them to. So this is our story to tell. So Mm -hmm. would you honor your grandmother? Would you honor this family? And would you even represent the inquiries that are going to come into my police department and go ahead and do these interviews? And I said, yeah, it would be the honor of my life. Mm -hmm. And I had, I, my biggest demon that I was fighting at that time was my last couple opportunities with my grandmother, I felt like had been lost. My, my whole family was together on Father's Day, which had, which was just four days prior, mm-hmm. creating beautiful memories together. And I had booked a trip um, without realizing it was Father's Day. And once I realized it was Father's Day, I tried to reschedule that trip and couldn't. And mm-hmm. so a part of me knew like I shouldn't be out of town. And so I ended up going anyways. And I just never got those final moments with her that I thought I would cherish forever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I took almost that anger and that regret that I had of not listening to that conviction that I had to stay. And I just started channeling it towards honoring my grandmother, honoring mm-hmm. how she lived for 
her faith, her family, and her friends in that order. She was a woman of God. She loved Jesus with all her heart. And because of that, um, she loved people and she mm-hmm. loved her family first. And she loved, you know, others second after that. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling this story to the media and we still held on to hope. Not to, never to realize that she would be the 12th person found on the six, on that sixth day. And I'll never forget that when homicide detectives had called my family, you know, we had spent all day, every day for six days in a row, not with the families at the family reunification center, but actually with the first responders, watching them dig for the, through the rubble and watching them risk their lives, watching fires break out. Mm-hmm. I mean, watching them work through storms. And I'll never forget that as we watched day in and day out, day in and day out, that after we left, after another long day, they called us back. And when homicide detectives called us, we knew why they were calling us because had they found her alive, well, it would, it would have been the hospital. It would have been mm-hmm. fire rescue. And so we knew that we were like lambs going to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And they brought us to the, the Grand Beach Hotel, which was the family reunification center. They brought us into this suite and we were in this living room type setting and they delivered the news to us and my whole family was weeping I didn't weep because I was still so angry I didn't even feel like I deserved to weep Mm -hmm. I was angry at myself Mm -hmm. and um the moment that that started to change everything for me was the officers were very professional and once we calmed down a little bit they addressed my father directly and they said, we want you to know that we found this on your mother when we recovered her body. And they handed my father a brown paper bag. Mm -hmm. And it became this holy, sacred moment. Like, oh my gosh, what could be in this bag? My brother, who's also a first responder, happened to have gloves on him and he put them on and he started to so delicately open up this bag. And when he opened up the bag, it revealed six rosaries within it. Mm. Now, for me personally, rosaries don't hold any significance to me as a person in my faith, but my grandmother would use them to pray. Mm-hmm. And it was such a beautiful picture in my mind that my grandmother went to bed that, that night and in her final act on this earth, she fell asleep in prayer, praying to God. Wow. But, but it goes deeper than that mm-hmm. because in that moment, I, it, it was such a full circle moment for me that I addressed my family. I said, guys, do you know what this means? We've been talking or I've been talking day in and day out on interview after interview after interview on the media that Kima lived for her faith, her family and her friends in that order. And her whole building is rubble. We didn't get to keep anything of hers, but God is so good that the only things we got to keep were the birthday card that symbolized her friendships, the pictures that symbolized her love for family and her rosaries that symbolized her faith and love for Jesus. God was so good that he sealed that moment Mm -hmm. by sealing her legacy that he was, um, that she was safe in his presence, that he delivered on that promise and when my when i said that my father 
something happened that I had been praying for for a long time, but it was so beautiful. My father lowered his head. We were kind of in a circular formation and he ended up grabbing our hands and it became a prayer circle. And he said, guys, I don't, I don't understand why this happened. This shouldn't have happened. I don't know how we're going to make it through this. All I know is that I can't make it through this without God. Mm. And he started to pray, God, I believe in you, the Father, Jesus. I believe in you, the Son. I believe in you, the Holy Spirit. And I just invite your presence into my life because without your help and without your guidance, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. So I ask for you to come into my heart right now and in this moment. And it was such a beautiful, raw prayer. And it was an answered prayer for me that mm-hmm. I thought in this situation, my father would become bitter, mm-hmm. but um, God used it in such a divine way that it, it humbled my father's heart. And um, that was really, it's a, a way of me summarizing really those first six days mm-hmm. um, after the collapse. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Oh my goodness. Again, I'm so sorry that you guys had to go through that. But even in that, it just shows how God can take something that's so tragic and so devastating and create something so beautiful from it. Even if it's hard to see at that moment, but just to hear your dad's response. Wow. That just. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, on, on that, so yeah. my life verse in all seasons, mm-hmm. um, even before Surfside, is uh, Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. And that verse is so meaningful to me because I've lived a, enough life now yeah. where um, when I was a, a younger, more immature believer, I misinterpreted that verse to believe that all things that happen are good. If you mm-hmm. try, you know, and that's not what it says. He yeah. works all things for the good. That means the good situation, he's going to work for his good and the bad situation, he's going to work for his good, mm-hmm. but it requires faith in the middle. And in my journey, I've also learned that faith is something that you have to have before you need it mm-hmm. because Um, A lot of people think that faith, the opposite of faith is doubt, but the truth is, is that the opposite of faith is sight, Mm -hmm. that if you can see it, that you don't need faith for it, that you don't need God's strength or his presence to show up because it's already here, or you can see it right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I've lived enough life where I've, I've seen God take some of the worst of situations and truly work it for his good. Mm -hmm. And when it works for for his good it works for our good right when it's for his glory it's through our story that we are the tool and that we're we're not more than that right that Mm -hmm. he he's the source and we are the resource Mm -hmm. and i at that time was seeing um psalm 34 18 everywhere there was this you know there was a lot of people that were reported missing and Mm -hmm. there was this wall of hope which was the outside of a a tennis court fence that was a block long and it was just absolutely covered in flowers and pictures Mm -hmm. and um, mementos 
they that just were cherished items that belonged to missing loved ones. Mm-hmm. And it became the wall of hope. And in the middle of it was this giant banner that said Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted mm-hmm. and rescues those that are crushed in spirit. Wow. And I kept seeing this verse. I kept hearing this verse. And mm-hmm. um, we were in the uh, in the capital of Florida in Tallahassee on, in January of 2021 mm-hmm. um, when Governor DeSantis was doing his annual State of the State speech. Mm-hmm. And our family was there representing the, the Surfside families of all of the 98 people that were lost in the Surfside collapse. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that in that moment, while we were listening to him address us directly, he claimed that verse over us. Wow. And that's where I had a brand new revelation of the meaning of that verse, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He rescues those that are crushed in spirit. But why does he want to rescue you from one and not the other? It must mean that those two things are different. And what I came to learn is that a broken heart is something that is not avoidable. You cannot go through this life and not have to go through the pain of loss, of sorrow, of heartache, um, and of mourning. Mm-hmm. You know, we we often say in the Christian world that the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. But that is such a powerful verse mm-hmm. because Jesus, being God in the flesh, having full authority of heaven, but claiming none of it, he could have opted out of sorrow. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, in that specific situation, the context of, of that passage um, is Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he had already said it twice to Mary and Martha that he will live again, that he's going to raise him from the dead. And Jesus was mourning in that moment because his loved ones were mourning in that moment. If you think about it, Jesus knew Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. He wasn't crying because Lazarus died. He was weeping because his heart was breaking for the ones that he loved, that their heart was breaking. Mm-hmm. And so it just truly shows the heart of God that when our heart breaks, that his heart breaks. And that's why he's near to the brokenhearted, because we we serve a God that he doesn't sympathize with us, where he feels bad for us and wonders how we feel. No, it's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. He empathizes with our pain that when we go through anguish, that he feels that anguish. Mm-hmm. And that's why we can trust him to be near to us when we're brokenhearted. But a crushed spirit, that is something entirely different. That is losing your faith, your hope, and your purpose. You're like a well without water or a bird without wings. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord wants to rescue you from that because you can go through seasons of a broken heart without it breaking your spirit. And that's where I had the revelation of, oh my gosh, like, how do you go through seasons of a broken heart without it breaking your spirit? Mm -hmm. And God started to give me downloads and a revelation for this book. Mm -hmm. And what became so interesting about Uncollapsible Souls, the theme behind it became that I wanted to make sure that whether or not somebody knew someone that passed away in the collapse or was affected by the Surfside condo collapse, that in their own personal life, we're all going to go through collapses. We're all going to go through, Mm -hmm. you know, loss and betrayal and burials and all of the different painful things of life. But at the same time, I wanted somebody that's going through that to be able to, you know, the situation might be different from Surfside 
to that to the reader situation, but the feelings will be the same right. because it'll still be the grief process. It'll still be the mourning process. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that the theme of the book was that um, your heart can break and you may even be suffering in a, in a state of a crushed spirit, but your soul is meant to be uncollapsible. Mm-hmm. That you don't have to go through things alone. That when you go through a collapse in your life, that your character need not collapse, that your soul need not collapse. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord just started to give me, I knew I needed to write the book, but mm-hmm. again, I didn't have the site for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the book was going to look like. I knew what the 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 core theme of it was going to be, mm-hmm. but as he started to reveal to me each chapter and where the book was ultimately going to go, that part was just so life-changing for me. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, like I said, I mean, this is definitely going to help people today because as you said, we all go through something sometime. And if you haven't, you will. But in that we have the hope and we have, you know, God is there and he's not going to leave us. Even if we feel like he has, he's not gone. He's right there with us and he'll show us different ways as he did with your family and those three those three tangible items that you had that represent her legacy. And that's something so beautiful. I, I love that he did that for you guys. How have you seen him just take, take your story, take your situation and really impact people with it? Wow. Um, a lot of different ways mm-hmm. because I mean, even from the very beginning, you could see God's fingerprints all over this. Again, the situation was bad. You can go through bad situations and God is still good. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing that each person needs to have in their heart, actually, I think it's two things that each person needs to have in their heart when they're going through grief, is that number one, that grief is unavoidable because the mm-hmm. the lie of grief is that is that you're alone. Is that Mm -hmm. nobody understands my pain, that my situation is so different. And the situation might be different, but that doesn't mean that nobody else is going through the feelings that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. And so the temptation is to go into isolation. And isolation is extremely unhealthy because isolation is not about becoming healthy. Isolation is about, you know, when when uh like if you ever watch documentaries mm-hmm. and you watch like uh, a pack of wolves or any type of pack animal you know go to attack an animal uh that's that's prey well they surround the animal in isolation they have to separate them from the pack yeah and when you go into isolation the danger of it is that there's no end date to it and you're not allowing other people in mm-hmm. and so the temptation of pain is to turn it into pride where it's all about you and because it's all about you you are not seeking healing Mm -hmm. whereas if you go into solitude that is specifically going into a place of meditation and prayer and it's for the purpose of healing it's for the purpose of surrendering it's the it's for the purpose of allowing god to do his work in you and you can allow people in in a state of solitude Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a time limit on it. And we all need to be in solitude. Jesus went into solitude 
uh, many times throughout scripture. And some of the, I mean, in the garden of Gethsemane before his death, um, he was in solitude and prayer. And there was times that he was in the wilderness for 40 days. So that's a very healthy thing to do, but don't stay in isolation. So that's the first thing. But the second thing um, that I have just come to learn through this entire process of all of this is that when it comes to the grief process Mm -hmm. that, you know, they say that um, all things heal with time. That's, that's an absolute lie. That is not true. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you have an infected wound, well, that's only going to get more infected over time. And if you don't take care of it, you're going to need surgery and antibiotics. And if you don't do that, then you're eventually going to have to get whatever body part that is amputated. Right. And if you don't do that, it's going to kill you. Right. Right. So not all things heal with time. Mm -hmm. And I went through a healing process of five different steps Mm -hmm. and I kind of lay them out throughout my book. And so healing has to be intentional. Yeah. It has to be something that you seek. And again, that's the danger of isolation that you're not seeking healing. You're just seeking staying in your feelings and Again, solitude is the purpose of that, but solitude also focuses on the healing aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so I say all of that to say that um, I outline the healing process within my book, and um, there's really five different steps. So the first one is recognizing your heartbreak. So think of um, think of it in you know Jesus spoke in parables because our brains don't think in words; we think in right. pictures. Mm-hmm. So uh, imagine for a moment you have a really bad gash on your arm. Well, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you have a cut, (laughs) that you're bleeding, right? Right. That you need some sort of medical attention. Uh And it's the same thing with our emotional wounds. The second step is you have to respond to your grief, right? You have Mm -hmm. to respond to that wound. So maybe you have to um, cover it up with gauze. Maybe you have to um, wash it underwater. Maybe you need to call 911. Maybe you need to go to the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then that kind of leads to the third thing is that you have to, you have to relinquish your anguish. In other words, you have to surrender your pain. Mm -hmm. See, when you go to get professional medical attention, you can't say, Hey, I want to do it my way. You have to surrender to their care. Right. Right. If you need surgery, you have to trust them. If they're going to stitch you up, you need to trust them. Even if what they're going to do hurts you, you have to trust that they know what they are doing Mm -hmm. more than you do. Right. And that they are more qualified. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same exact thing when it comes to our hearts that we have to surrender our pain, that we cannot continue to hold on to everything on the inside. Um, There's a in, in, in this chapter, I actually wrote about something called heart dialysis. Mm-hmm. So dialysis is obviously when your kidneys stop working or if they stop working, a dialysis machine acts as a big giant kidney to filter all the toxins out of your blood that are, you know, if your body was working normally, it would normally turn into pee and your body would get rid of those toxins that way. Right. And you can only live a matter of days if your kidneys stop functioning. And what will happen is if you don't get dialysis, your blood pressure will start to rise from your blood getting poisoned and it'll eventually just kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I believe it's the same exact thing when it comes 
to pain. Why? Because when it comes to emotional pain, there's only two ways that we can go with it. Or mm -hmm. I should say it this way. There's one road that leads to two paths. That mm -hmm. one road, believe it or not, is passion. Pain leads to passion. Mm -hmm. Now, it will lead towards the passion of resentment. What is resentment? It's where you're angry about your pain and it's going to manifest in your life through bitterness. Mm -hmm. Because if you allow that pain to simmer in you long enough and you're just worried more about blaming people, well, you still have a responsibility to heal. If you get into a car accident mm -hmm. and you're wounded, you can't just ignore the healing process. If you're bleeding from the car accident because it's somebody else's fault that they hit you, you have a responsibility still in how you respond. Right. So you can respond in resentment or you can respond with passion for restoration. Mm. And that's the other path, uh, the other path. And when you respond in restoration, the outcome of that passion is you're going to become so passionate about healing. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I talk about heart dialysis is um, obviously heart dialysis is not a real thing in real life. <laughs> um, kidney dialysis is, right. but the point is, is that your emotional heart, when you allow the poison of bitterness to just keep circulating within your body, well, if you don't deal with that properly, it is going to poison you mm -hmm. and it's going to, you're going to bleed on other people that never even cut you because you haven't taken responsibility mm -hmm. for your own healing. Wow. And so <clears throat> that's what relinquishing your, your anguish is all about. And then once you surrender your pain, once you relinquish that anguish, that anguish, you're no longer carrying the burden of that bitterness as you're going through your healing process. Now you can rename your pain. And that's the fourth step. And what's so cool about renaming your pain, again, just think of this as a physical wound. When that wound is healed, it's no longer called a wound. It's called a scar. Right. And the cool thing about scar tissue is that that scar tissue will never look the same as the rest of your skin, but it'll be thicker and more calloused. It can't get infected because it's already healed. But more importantly, it shares a story of triumph that when mm. people ask, wow, what's that scar from? It's not a story of wounding. It's now a story of healing. And it's the same exact thing in our lives that when we go through pain and anguish, that you have to rename your pain from a wound to a scar because your wound should not always be a wound. You mm -hmm. should be able to turn your test into a testimony mm -hmm. and your story into a triumph where you're now, now, now you're, you're sharing your healing with other people about mm -hmm. what you did to heal. And then that leads to the fifth step, which is redeem your sorrow. You know, redeem redemption is to trade. Right. Mm -hmm. If you redeem a coupon, you're trading that coupon for a discount. Right. And redeeming your sorrow is really all about drawing purpose from your pain. You're now trading your pain for purpose because you've healed, you've renamed your pain. And the thing about drawing purpose from your pain is that it's no longer about you healing. It's about others healing. It's about you sharing your story for God's glory because of the healing that he's done in your life. And that's the reason that I wrote the book. But what's so interesting to bring this conversation full circle is that, like I explained to you before, I was never at the family reunification center. I never got to meet these families until 
um, close to the one year anniversary, I was added onto a WhatsApp chat that had all the Surfside families in there. Mm -hmm. And I had known consciously that this was so much bigger than my grandmother. Yeah. But I hadn't experienced it. And as I started to get to know these other families, God started to break my heart for them mm -hmm. in such a new way because by getting to know them personally, where it wasn't a news story, mm -hmm. where it wasn't a person that is out there somewhere. This was a real person that I now know that I have a relationship with, that they lived through this. Yeah. And because I know they lived through it, now as they've been sharing their stories with me, it caused me to relive this through a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. And when I realized how much bigger this was than me and my family and my grandmother's pain, you know, one of the driving factors behind this book is that um, Mark Batterson has one of my favorite quotes. He says that uh, an inheritance is what you leave behind for someone, but a legacy is what you leave behind in someone. Wow. And yeah. this book is my grandmother's legacy. It's what mm -hmm. it really is. But this is so much bigger than my grandmother. And so I share several legacies throughout this, this book. And so <clears throat> each chapter is actually dedicated to one family specifically that either survived the collapse, that went down in the collapse and was pulled out of the rubble alive, or which there was 101 people that went down in the collapse and three of them were pulled out alive. The other 98 passed away. Um, or, you know, I share stories of, of, of loved ones that just, they, they didn't make it. And um, it became a very powerful story because um, I'll share an example of one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a mother and daughter that I actually found out about their story because they go to my church mm -hmm. and they were mentioned by name the weekend uh, after the collapse had happened. And later on, and, you know, uh, almost a year later, I rewatched that sermon, heard their names and I was like, oh my gosh, they were involved in the collapse. I hope they, they survived. And they actually did. Um, but as I got to know their story, Angela and Devin, Angela is Devin's mom. Devin's dad, Edgar, which is Angela's husband, they, were, they had all watched the movie that, together that night. It was a scary movie. And Devin didn't want to go to bed by herself. She was 16 at the time. So she slept in between her parents. And... At 1.22 a.m., this giant thunderous sound woke up Angela. And what she woke up to was the foundations in the parking garage snapping. The building hadn't started falling yet. Out of these superpower, adrenaline rushed maternal powers, she woke up out of a dead sleep and grabbed her daughter out of bed and said, run. And they started running out of the bedroom. And her husband was still in the bed. And as they're running out of the bedroom, the floor beneath them starts just crumbling. And they fell six stories. Angela landed first. Devin landed on top of her and then bounced off of her body and rolled down. Angela 
she lacerated her pelvis. She broke her hip. She had all kinds of medical complications where she started bleeding internally. Mm-hmm. Devin, on the other hand, who was like 30 feet away, had rolled down a pile of rubble and she was bleeding externally because she had a compound fracture in her femur that was so bad that both bones were sticking out mm-hmm. of her left leg and she was bleeding out. Mm-hmm. The firefighters, there was a trio of firefighters and I, I explain the story word for word in my book of mm-hmm. how everything happened. But these firefighters rescued Devin and Devin saved her mom's life because she was trying to tell him, my mom is up there. My mom is up there. And, you know, they thought that she was just, you know, my mom's somewhere in the rubble. No, like she was pointing them right to where her mom was. And her mom was in an area where the remaining building that was still standing, but mangled, mm-hmm. there was like AC units dangling off the side. There was furniture dangling off the side. Like there was debris still falling. These firefighters risked their lives knowing that a projectile could fall on their heads and kill them instantly. They still risked their lives and rescued both of them. Mm. Angela ended up waking up five days later on her birthday. Talk about a real birthday where she got to celebrate new life. She woke up back to consciousness on her birthday and found out that her husband, the love of her life had been killed in the collapse but received the good news that her daughter had survived the fall mm-hmm. and she had gone through surgeries and everything like that. It's so beautiful because in sharing Devin's story, I share the darkness and the ugly of what I just shared with you, but I also share the hope and the beauty of it mm-hmm. to where in October of last year, um, it's so interesting because at my church, Vu Church, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have small groups that we call Vu Crews because it sounds super catchy and cool. Right. And we have different <laughs> types of crews. We got, we got men's crews, women's crews, and we have fitness crews. In my crew, we started the first ever volleyball crew where we have a discussion in small group and then we play volleyball together. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And so I love volleyball. Well, Devin's life was volleyball mm-hmm. before the collapse. As a matter of fact, when the firefighters found her, her first thing was, I have a game this upcoming weekend. Like, <laughs> like I have a tournament, you know, am I going to be okay to play? She has like bones sticking out of her legs. Bleeding out. It, but it just goes to show you her passion. Right. Um, but after she went through the physical healing process um, and she had to learn how to walk again, she had to learn how to play volleyball again. I was honored to see her play her first game ever officially post surfside collapse after everything that she got through for her after everything that she went through for her senior night mm-hmm. and she was honored that night and there was this beautiful moment that I watched her play her heart out and there was just this this contrast like this war within her that whole evening that she was playing because she had come so far to get to this moment mm-hmm. but yet she used to play so much better that her body was not physically able to keep up with her mind. Mm -hmm. And she knew that her dad would be so proud of her for how far she had come and for how well she was playing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she missed her dad so dearly. Mm -hmm. And her team won the game that night. And in the moment that they won the game, I watched Devin break down in tears. Mm -hmm. Just, 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 she missed her dad 
she mourned her old life. Mm -hmm. She mourned how she used to play, but yet she'd come so far mm -hmm. and she had used the adversity to become a victory mm -hmm. and she had won the game despite everything. And like, it was just this absolute paradox of different emotions, mm -hmm. but it was such a beautiful picture of how far her physical healing had brought her and how much she had inspired me. And so their story actually have a, a chapter dedicated to Angela and a chapter ded dedicated to Devin. Um, but there's so many stories like that of how these, of, of how so many people uh, through this collapse have inspired me. And the first person that was pulled out of the rubble alive, and this was the third and, and only survivor um, outside of Devin and Angela uh, was this also a uh, 16 year old teenager named uh, Jonah Handler. Jonah was, there was a guy walking his dog and the collapse happened and he heard Jonah screaming for help. And um, there was actually dramatic footage of the firefighters rescuing Jonah and pulling him out of the rubble. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, Jonah's mom uh, was also found alive. Well, that's fortunate. But what's unfortunate is her leg was caught in the rubble and they couldn't get her out and she was severely injured and they had to amputate her leg um which is just so haunting to think about because they didn't have time to use anesthesia i would imagine they didn't have time to like her life was on the line and unfortunately uh she she died either on the way to the hospital or at the hospital mm -hmm. and um you know Jonah survived it, thank God. But um, I'll never forget the day that I met Jonah. It was uh, a little bit before the one-year anniversary, and I met him and his dad, Neil. And um, we're at this pizza restaurant, and they had invited Raquel Oliveira. Mm -hmm. Raquel posted a picture online on Instagram. The airplane ticket that saved my life, she had flown out hours prior to the collapse to see her mom and sister in Colorado, ironically. And while she was there, her husband and five-year-old son were killed in the collapse. And so I'm sitting there at this pizza restaurant, meeting Jonah, meeting his dad, Neil, and meeting Raquel all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to their stories, primarily Raquel, because I had had conversations with Neil um, over the phone prior to that, but I'd never met Raquel. I'd known about her story and I was just so moved by her. And we shared some tears that night, but hours went by in conversation. And it was so intense in the conversation that the restaurant closed before I could order my food. If that tells you anything. Wow. <laughs> didn't even order anything. Yeah. Um, but I didn't care because, right. but I saw through all of the pain, through all of the anguish, I saw this beautiful moment that was so divine. Jonah had gone up and gone to the bathroom and Raquel had playfully looked at Neil and said to him, um, you are so fortunate that you have your son, that he survived. And obviously she was saying that from a place that she lost her own son. Yeah. And when Jonah walked back, Jonah um, you know, he, you know, they looked at each other tenderly and she said, if your father ever gives you too hard of a time, 
you call me and I'll take care of your dad for you. <laughs> and it was, I could have cried in that moment. It was such a hallmark moment for me, mm-hmm. not because of what was said, but because of what was unsaid. Mm-hmm. And what was unsaid was this, Jonah had lost his mom. His mom didn't make it. And Raquel had lost her whole world. She had lost her little boy and she had lost her husband. But yet, sitting there next to Neil and Jonah, they symbolized everything that she was missing that actually kept her comfort. Mm. And in that moment, what was unsaid is that Raquel was revealing herself to be a motherly figure to Jonah, who had lost his mom. Mm -hmm. And it just showed the beautiful unity that is in community and why we need each other. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories in the New Testament is the four men that carry a paralyzed man to Jesus mm-hmm. and the house is full. So they tear a hole through the roof and somehow lower this man to Jesus's feet. And Jesus yeah. looks at the man and says, because of their faith, because of your friend's faith, you are healed. Mm-hmm. What if that, what if those friends did not have faith for that man that was right. paralyzed? What if they didn't carry him? What if they didn't have the faith to bring him to the roof, not just bring him to Jesus? That they're, What if the posture of their heart had not been, we are going to do everything. You are not leaving until you get your miracle. I don't care if we have to tear a hole through the roof. That's such a beautiful picture of why we need each other. Yeah. Because there are seasons in life where we're the person on the mat, but that should be the exception, not the rule. The rule should be that we're the ones carrying other people on the mat. Mm-hmm. But when you're the person on the mat, it's okay because that's why we have each other. And seeing Jonah and Neil and Raquel in that moment just be such a beautiful picture of what community is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Mm-hmm. When we're with each other in our pain, it actually does not multiply the pain, it multiplies the love. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the danger of isolation. And so I write about all of these different things in my book. And there's so many other stories that are told in the book. Um, but I learned a different aspect of being inspired towards healing from each and every single person that I write about. Mm-hmm. And so um, this has been, you know, at every crossroad, there's a cross to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and every blessing, there's a burden to carry. Bigger house, bigger mortgage, right? (laughs) More kids, more responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. And this is no exception. Writing this book was very heavy. It's been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life, um, both emotionally and like, you know, physically (laughs) took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours to to get here. But you know what? Um, I've learned that um, calling is not something that you typically find that calling finds you that calling will chase you mm-hmm. and it takes faith to step into it. And so I'm so grateful for this season because what God's revealed to me is that it's not just about my grandmother's legacy, but about so many other legacies that it's not about how they died. We know how they died. The news has done a great job of that, but how did they live? That's mm-hmm. the more important question. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother lived with a love that was so overwhelming, that was so childlike in faith that it could only come from the heart of God. And so one of the things that my grandmother taught me is how could 
the well of your heart run dry when it comes from an endless supply. And that's the way that my grandmother lived her life. And I'm so happy I get to share this book, Uncollapsible Soul with the World. Wow, Mike, this has been an amazing conversation. This has been so good. And I cannot personally wait to get my hands on the book. So I'm, I love hearing people's stories. I love being a part of people's stories. And that's one of the reasons this podcast is here to be able to share these stories. And thank you. Like you said, it's an intense responsibility, but thank you for taking that on so that these people's stories could be heard and your grandma's story can be heard and healing can come from this. So where can people find you and where can people get the book? Great questions. So uh, you can find me on social media. Uh, I mainly use Instagram, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm getting on everything else. So my Instagram is the.real.noriega, N-O-R-I-E-G-A. So the period, real period, Noriega. Mm-hmm. Um, my book also has an Instagram page. It's mm-hmm. just uncollapsible soul. And uh, I'm also on uh, TikTok under the.real.noriega and uh, Twitter under just the word uncollapsible because Twitter didn't want me to, uh, (laughs) they wouldn't allow me to add more letters onto it. So it's (laughs) uncollapsible. And I have my Facebook page, Mike Noriega, and then I also have an uncollapsible soul Facebook page uh, as well. Um, to get my book, uh, you can go to uncollapsiblesoul.com or mikenoriega.com. Mm-hmm. And that's the best place because right now my book, uh, as we speak, is in Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can find it there. But what my website is going to do is it's going to keep everybody updated of exactly where you can find it with the links. And that way you don't have to you know, look for it. It'll pretty much be everywhere uh, very soon. So um, I just ask that uh, if anybody reads it, uh, that I would love genuine feedback. I would love for people to write reviews because I don't really consider myself to be an author. I just did this because <laughs> God called me to do this. And I just pray that if this just impacts one person, it was all worth it. I, I'll never forget a news reporter told me after doing an interview, he said, you know, I see the blessing in this already. This was like a few days after the collapse. He said, mm-hmm. if your grandmother had died, a little old lady sleeping in her bed and you holding her hand next to her, that might've been the way you imagined it. But because of this, God is using this for other people to hear your grandmother's story for God's glory. Mm-hmm. And I, when he said that, it's so true. She would not be having the impact she's having right now. And so- I just pray it impacts one person. So if it impacts you, I just ask everyone to leave a review. Uncollapsiblesoul.com. Amen. Amen. You guys go get yourself a copy. Go follow Mike for more encouragement. And I will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. 
Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.